Uh, open up God's Word. We're going to read from uh, 2 Peter, chapter 3. So if you have if you have your Bibles with you, uh, 2 Peter, chapter 3, it'll also be on the screen uh, behind me. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, Where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestor died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord is, uh, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, Since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes in the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some of the things, his letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do with the other scriptures, to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, 
Since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawlessness, of lawless, and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Thanks, Jamie. For those who don't know me, my name's Roger. I'm one of the elders here at, uh, at Gosford, and it's my delight to uh, continue um, preaching my way through 2 Peter, and we've come to 2 Peter chapter 3 today, this morning. So, two quick questions for you to consider. When do you expect Jesus to return? And what impact does your expectation of Jesus' return have on the way you live? Indeed, they're both there for you to read. Two important questions, and I suspect that as you think about those, there'd be many different answers to those questions, and there'd be many different reasons for those for your answers. But whatever your answers, we know that Jesus' return is a foundational belief of the Christian faith. And it has a huge impact on how we live, or it should. And that's what we're looking at today. We're looking at Jesus' return and what that means for us. So let's pray before we start. May the words that I say and the thoughts and ideas that we explore this morning be true to your word and help us to understand more clearly your message to us and help us to know your love for us. Amen. Okay, Peter wrote this letter about 60 to 65 CE, okay, some 30 plus years after Jesus died. And, a bit of background, he wrote the letter in response to increasingly difficult times that the early Christians were starting to experience. Uh, there were false teachers arising within the church leading, church leading people away from the foundational truths that had been taught to them. And of course, when false teaching occurs in the church, what happens is that people's faith are impacted. And so the members of the church were being a bit distressed by this teaching. So dissension was arising, conflict. And this in turn was leading to the ineffectiveness of the church and their witness. Their faith was being damaged, and so was their witness. But not only were these problems within the church... But there was increasing antagonism from the wider community towards the growth of Christianity. Uh, Unlike our society, their wider community was a very religious community. It was polytheistic. Uh, They believed in a variety of gods. But there were things about those gods which the Christian church challenged. So the many gods they believed in weren't exclusive. In other words, it was fine for you to believe in Apollo and believe in Jupiter and believe in the emperor as a, as a, as a, as a god. Uh, they, they didn't mind if you believed in other gods. And the gods they worshipped were very human in the way they, they dealt with their characteristics. So they didn't hold people accountable for their behaviour. So then these Christians come along and they're saying, hey, there's one god and he's an exclusive god, he's the only god. And also he does judge people. He does hold you accountable 
for what you do. And so that message was grating to that community. And so people were a bit, a bit annoyed with it. An overt prosecution of Christianity was starting to commence. At this stage, it was mainly by a mocking and condemnation of the beliefs and, and turning around them. But of course, within 30 years or so, uh, they were going to find themselves under severe persecution, being rejected, kicked out of Rome, and also subject to all sorts of physical punishments. So that's the context in which Peter writes his letter. And in this section, he turns and addresses the expectation that Christ will return, and that this return will be in their lifetime. One of the foundational beliefs that the church holds to. It's an incredibly important foundational belief for these early Christians, as it is for us. Why? Well, because it was promised by Christ. Uh, just one example, uh, it's recorded, the promises are recorded in all the Gospels and also in uh, Paul's letters, many letters. But here's just one example from John 14 verses 2 and 3. Christ says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. So you can see it's an integral belief in the return of Christ is integral to the understanding of your faith. And the when he was going to return was also important to the, uh, to the early church. In Matthew uh, chapter 24, we see the disciples are talking with Jesus about when he would return and what would be the signs of his return. Jesus talks about a number of environmental and social signs that will occur before he returns. And he explains that his return will bring with it the destruction of the earth and the judgment of evil. Things will be brought right. And he says to them in 24-34, he says, I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. So that's where this belief comes from. It's reasonable and logical for the believers to hold firmly to the understanding that Jesus will return and that that return will be in their lifetime. His return would be proof of their faith. It's the source of hope for judgment and justice for them, and it, it keeps them strong in their faith as they face this increasing persecution. But of course, as I said, it's now 30 years or so since Christ died. And time has passed and Jesus has not returned. And so... Questions are starting to arise. People within the church are scoffing, telling them that Jesus will not return. Why? Because he hasn't so far. Peter recognises that this threat, this teaching, poses a real threat to their faith and he wants to set it straight for them. And so he reminds his people, his, his readers, of three things they must hold on to. Three things they need to hold on to in, whenever their faith is challenged, but particularly in this area. And those are, remember what you've been taught, understand the issue from God's perspective, and live always with this knowledge and understanding in mind. So let's think a bit about those three issues. The first point, remember what you've been taught, we find in those first words of uh, the first verses of 1 to 7. We've just read it, James just read it there. 
But it's important to remember a couple of things from that he points out. Peter tells them to think clearly and carefully about what is happening around them and that they are being and that what they're being taught about by some members of the community. Firstly, he says, I want you to judge, recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. In other words, he says, judge what you're experiencing and what you're hearing by what you've learnt from the reliable witnesses. And those reliable witnesses are the apostles who were there with Christ. They recorded his words. They heard them. They were able to tell them about them. And also the prophets who prophesied Christ's coming. So when people scoff at them for holding their belief that Jesus will return, they need to hold on to what Jesus has said. And part of what they've said that Jesus has said, included in that, is that God created the earth and the heavens by his word. God is sovereign. He is in control. And so they need to understand that those who are mocking and deliberately try and lead them from the faith are motivated by evil intent. They're following their own evil desires. In other words, they're against this sovereign God. Not only that, but the scoffers are actually aware there'll be a judgment day. They're deliberately forgetting or deliberately ignoring this knowledge. They're choosing not to believe it. And so when they argue everything goes on as it has been since the beginning of creation, their motivation is not pure. They don't really believe that. Now sure, they can look around them and point to the Roman society and say, look, things are really cool. And it was at the present time. Romans had been in charge for about the last 100 years. And Rome did provide for its citizens and the nations it had conquered an observable and tangible political and social stability. So things were rolling along quite nicely at that stage. But Peter's readers only had to think back on their history to realise that it hadn't always been that way. Things haven't gone on since the beginning of creation. The very waters that God created, he also used in the time of Noah to judge the world and destroy it. And so Peter explains that God can do that again. And he will do that again. Not by water, but he uses the term by fire. What he's saying is there will be a day of judgment. The current earth will pass away but it will be under God's control. It will be under the same word that created the world. So any sense of security or stability that the scoffers and the people around them are trying to say exists is actually an illusion. Don't think that Jesus' promised return will not happen. It will, says Peter. But that, of course, poses a problem for his readers, doesn't it? Because after all, Jesus has said, I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all things have happened. And they look around them and see the generation is dying, people are passing away, and they're worried about it. So Peter's answer is, you need to understand these things from God's perspective. He addresses that in verses 8 to 10. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, 
a thousand years like a day. The Lord isn't slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, but he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Peter's saying that Jesus was not mistaken. He didn't lie when he made the claim that he would return. He didn't lie when he made the claim he would return in this generation. For you see, time has a different meaning for God. When the scoffers look at the fact that Jesus has not yet returned, and assume that this means he will not return, they've got it wrong. They take comfort in his continued failure to return as a confirmation there'll be no judgment. There will be no winding up of the earth and that they personally will not be judged. But that's a simplistic conclusion to come to, an incorrect one. To understand, Peter says, to understand why Jesus hasn't returned, he's need to remember two key characteristics of God. Firstly, God is a God of love. He is patient with you. He wants everyone, he wants, doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And that his understanding of time is different. Because God cares for all his creation and time has a different meaning for him, he's able to deliberately delay his return and still be consistent with his statement. The reason for his delay is his love. It's the time to give people the time to repent. Because, you see, that's the only way that they can escape the judgment that's coming. It doesn't mean that God has changed his mind. Jesus will still return. There will be a judgment day. And when that happens, the opportunity for people to repent will be over. So they need to be doing something about it now. What do they need to be doing about it? What he tells them in verses 11 to 17. He says, take this knowledge and understanding and think about it. Hold it in mind all the time. Because... This is what you need to do. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Great question. What kind of people ought you to be? Well, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. The elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to the new heaven and a new earth the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, but they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. I'm not going to mention the bit about Paul. Um, Peter's having a jab at him there, but that's okay. But what he wants people to know 
is that the message that Jesus will return, will return, and that he, when he does, the earth as we know it will be destroyed, is actually a scary message. It's a message that, that could be sounding very negative and be hopeless and, and be a message of hopelessness. It's a message that could breed fear and anxiety. But we notice that that's not what Peter says. No, this is a message of challenge and hope and reassurance for his readers. The challenge is to live a godly and holy, holy guy life and to speed on that day. How do they do that? Well, by developing and demonstrating their lives the virtues that we discussed two weeks ago. The virtues that Peter outlines in chapter 1. They will live a godly and holy life by building on their faith, by adding goodness, knowledge of God, self-control, perseverance, reverence for who God is, love for the Christian community, and love for all people and demonstrating that to the world around them. Their response to the knowledge that Jesus will return is to get busy with God's work. Don't sit around debating whether and when he will return, but get on with living the way he wants you to live. Because as they demonstrate those virtues to everyone around them, people will see and will come to know God and come into relationship with him. And they too will have no need of fear when Jesus returns. In this way, they will speed on the day of Jesus' return. So that's the challenge. There's also a hope. The hope is in a new heaven and a new earth, a new creation where sin doesn't reign. The hope is a home of righteousness. For when Jesus returns, all things will be put right with God again. They will live in a world that doesn't have pain and suffering. It's a new heaven and a new earth. They live in a world that is secure and stable in permanent relationship with Christ, and where righteousness and justice rule. For the people in their situation, that's a great hope, an important hope. And Peter also gives them a reassurance. He says, if they continue to exercise their faith and to live in the relationship with God, if they are at peace with him, then they will be spotless and blameless on that day. They will be Secure. So don't listen to the false teachers. We'll be swayed by the mocking of those around them. Be in your guard and reject those who reject the foundational truth of your faith. So what's this passage mean for us? Well, these days, the concept of the return of Jesus is pretty much mocked all the time. The destruction and renewal of the earth and a final judgment of us all by God is an anathema to our society. We don't want to hear about it. We want to avoid it. We want to just forget that it's even a possibility. And so we do. Unlike the Roman society, the majority of Australians actually do not believe in God. At the last census, uh, only 43%, 42.9%, 44% acknowledged or, or held to or claimed to even be Christian. First time in the history of Australia that less than 
not believed in God. And so the concept of Jesus returning and judgment is seen as irrelevant. And by some it's not only seen as irrelevant, it's seen as being cruel and psychologically harmful. Christians who hold to and make public statements about these beliefs are criticised. They're condemned. We even have legislation passed through Parliament that has the potential to limit the ability for us to make such statements <coughs> publicly. We don't want to hear that we're accountable. <coughs> and this impacts the church. Many Christians are very ambivalent about whether or not Jesus will return and what that means. American research carried out last year in April 22 identified that about 25% of the of the population, uh, the whole population, less than 50%, but 25% of the more than 50% said they 56% said they did believe that Christ would return. Um, but still, 20% of those who believed in Christ, 20 of those who claimed to be active Christians, 22% actually, if you look at the thing there believed that Jesus would not return. Only 75% of those who are active Christians in America believe that Christ will return. And I suspect that in Australia, even within the church, our faith belief would be very similar, if not worse. And the belief of Christ in the return of Christ is actually age-related. The younger you are, the less likely you are to believe in Jesus' return. The Barna Group, which is a uh, Christian think tank based out of the USA that looks at the attitudes of, of the young people towards Christianity, has just published this, resort, this report only a couple of weeks ago. It's called The Open Generation. It's got some fascinating stuff because it looks specifically at Australia and compares Australian young people with global young Christians. And the thing that I found interesting here is this particular outcome, which is in the middle there, it's a kind of strange graph, uh, and you can't see it, I realise. It's way too small for you to see. What it says is that two-thirds of Australians young people who identify as Christians, and, and only 16% of Australian young people, that's teenagers, identify as Christian, and two-thirds of those do not believe that Christ will return at some time in the future. Only a third believe that he will. So this this belief is becoming less and less popular. And when focus groups of those young people are asked why they don't believe that Jesus will return, guess what? A key factor is that he hasn't returned yet. They look back and say, 2,000 years, Christ hasn't come. He's probably not going to come. You see, the issue that impacted Peter's church 2,000 years ago is still impacting us today. So how do we as Christians respond to the situation where our foundational belief in the turn of Christ is under question? Well, we need to hold to those same three key points that Peter made to his readers. Firstly, remember what we've been taught. Secondly, understand the issue from God's perspective. And thirdly, live always with this knowledge that Understanding in mind. Remember what we've been taught. Jesus' return is promise and prophecy. It is the expression of God's sovereignty and omnipotence. It's the fulfilment of his plan of salvation. 
Jesus' return is an essential step through which God will renew his creation and right wrongs and deal with us all justly. If Jesus doesn't return, then there's no judgment day. There'll be no new heaven and earth. There'll be no home of righteousness and our faith is in vain. But we can be certain that he will return because we need to understand things from God's perspective. What has God revealed to us about what he's doing? Well, a couple of things. Firstly, we do not know and cannot know when his return will be. In Matthew twenty four thirty six, Jesus says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, nor the Father only, but the Father only. And we need to remember that God is delaying Jesus' return for our benefit and for the benefit of the wider community. He's delaying so that we can be more effective in presenting him to the community around us. He's delaying so that more people will come into relationship with him. So we need to live with this knowledge in mind. No one knows the time when Jesus returns except God. And we shouldn't waste our time trying to predict when it will be. When we see people predicting around us, ignore them. As Peter says, it will come like a thief in the night, without warning. So the answer to that question that I asked right at the beginning, when do you expect Christ to return, should be, I don't know, but I know he will return. You see, it doesn't matter (coughs) if it's tomorrow or if it's another 2,000 years. The important thing is to have confidence that Jesus will return, the judgment will take place in God's good time, and the things that we seek to be made right will occur. Things will be made right. The new heaven and earth will be ushered in. We just need to wait in patience and hope for it to occur. But it doesn't mean we can sit around and do nothing. Our expectation that Christ will return does matter in a very important way. Remember, he'll come like a thief in the night, unexpected. But that can occur at any time. So the answer to the question, what impact does your expectation of Jesus' return have on the way you live, should be, it gives me a sense of urgency to live in a way that reflects God's love and care to those around us. Because it could be tomorrow. And we need to be persistent and consistent in putting the claims of Christ before our loved ones for our friends and for our neighbours, so they have the opportunity to respond in faith to Jesus' death and avoid the eternal consequences of his judgment. And when we're living that way, we need to be living in thankfulness that the longer his return is delayed, the longer we have to live out our lives in this way and the more people he will bring into his kingdom. And one final point Whilst Jesus may not return within our lifetime, it's important to understand that from a personal point of view, he may not return to this world in our lifetime. From a personal point of view, Jesus returns to all of us on the day we die. And we will all die. When we die, we're precipitated into his presence and into our judgment day. Time ceases to exist for us when we die, or time as we know it. And there's no more time for repentance. So in a very real sense, Jesus will return in our lifetime. The relationship you have with Jesus on your deathbed 
is the relationship you have with Jesus for eternity. If you're not in relationship with Jesus when you die, you will not be in relationship with him throughout eternity. If you are in relationship with him, then you can have confidence that you will be in relationship with him forever. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Use the time we have now wisely to secure that salvation through faith in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this timely reminder that you will return and that when you return, this world as we know it will be removed. The new heaven and earth will be ushered in. Lord, we long for your return when wrongs will be righted and we will live eternally in relationship with you. But Lord, we also thank you for the continued opportunity to live out our relationship with you so that others may come to know you as well. Help us to be effective in living your way. Help us to build on our faith, faith in goodness and knowledge of God, self-control, perseverance, reverence, love for our Christian community and love for all people. Give us the words to say and actions to show so that our friends, our family and others we come in contact with will see you clearly and be challenged to come into relationship with you through faith in Jesus. Help us to use this time, the time we have before you return, however long that may be, help us to use it wisely. Amen.